comet might seem like an interesting or even beautiful phenomena, but for most it's a benign one. However, in 1973, with a booming revival of astrology, Kahutek was used as a sign or a message that was interpreted in contradictory ways. For some, it was a dawning of a new age of expanded consciousness. But in the middle of the Cold War, it shouldn't be surprising that nuclear war was a popular theme as well. For Timothy Leary and Lee Heflin discussed in another episode, the comet warned of a turning point where we as a society could choose between nuclear destruction or enlightenment. For notorious cults the children of God, Kahutek was the beginning of a biblical nuclear Armageddon. In this episode, I speak to Perry Bulwer, a former member of the Children of God. Although we'd all like to think we'd never join a doomsday cult, it can happen to anyone. Everyone is vulnerable to those kind of influences. Even people who think, ah, I, could, I would never be sucked into joining a cult. In 1973, just a year after Bulwer joined the Children of God, he found himself fleeing America to avoid the destruction the comic Kahutek was promised to bring. Comet Kahutek is on its way. We call it Starseed. Every comet is an individual which can, in principle, uh, provide new information. Visible between mid-November and late January, it will eventually be as bright or brighter than the famous Halley's Comet of 1910. I do feel that the comet, although it's not visible and as spectacular as they had thought, that it has had some effect in our atmosphere. Now, how about the economy? Uh, we're visitors on this planet Earth. We're not going to be here very long. We've got to get back in touch with the greater picture. In the early 70s, the Children of God was still an offshoot of the Jesus People movement. The Jesus People movement got endorsements by churches, including the Catholic Church and, and evangelical churches who, who sided with these hippie young people who were joining Jesus People, you know, communities, um, and we're endorsing them. They so they they didn't, and and so the children of God came out of that and broke away with some of and, and became a little bit more radical and extreme. So in my own case, my parents took me to a Catholic priest for counseling, and he ended up encouraging me rather than discouraging me. Bulwer left his home in Canada to join one of the children of God's communes. He was only 16 years old. He wasn't the only one. At that point, the cult already had 130 communes around the world. The Jesus people, or Jesus freaks, which birthed the children of God, was a far larger phenomenon. It was a sudden surge in evangelical Protestant youths, which emerged from the cities and coasts where the counterculture had exploded less than a decade before. But how did a fundamentalist religion appeal to youth who had congregated in urban centers to experience a lifestyle of free love and drugs? According to researcher Stephen Kent, part of the turn toward not only Christianity but a variety of alternative religions was a reaction to the frustrations of political and social activism. As the Vietnam War protests fell on deaf ears and city living became more difficult, the hippies turned to people who offered solutions. The Hare Krishnas, astrology, communes, and of course Christianity. The Jesus people offered hope, social structure, and resources for the masses of youth without steady homes or incomes. 
The remnants of the movement can still be found in Christian coffee houses, hip youth ministries, and Christian folk and rock music. The Jesus People movement adapted conservative Christian values to appeal to liberated youth by incorporating previously sacrilegious New Age beliefs into their message. Children of God leader David Berg did just this by incorporating astrology into his prophecies. In one of the letters, he specifically refers to astrologers who wrote and talked about Kahootek. And so Berg is using these astrologers, this sort of pseudoscience, you know, to confirm his own predictions. He's saying, look, all, you know, these ancient prophets and these modern astrologers and even some scientists were all in agreement. David Berg would later be accused of horrific sexual abuse of children, especially his own granddaughter and adopted son. He'd often outline these ritualized practices in letters to his followers. He frequently expressed regret that he had never had sex with his own mother. Here's Berg explaining his view of the Ten Commandments. He said, Jesus himself said, the Son of God. In this law, he said, dwelleth all the law and all the prophets. All fulfilled in this one law. Just this one law of love fulfills all ten and all the rest put together. So we don't need them anymore. We're no longer under the laws of Moses. We're no longer under the Ten Commandments. We're no longer under all that religious fol-de-rol and rigmarole. However, members like Bulwer, living in communes far away from Berg, never experienced this type of physical abuse directly. There was no sexual freedoms at all. None of those sexual doctrines had been developed at all. And in fact, there was rules. There was, there was no dating within the group. Obviously nothing with outsiders. We had no contact with outsiders. But even within the group, people there was no dating or kissing or no sexual contact at all. Any A couple that wanted to get married had to be approved by leadership. By the time Bulwer joined the group, Berg was claiming the Bible prophesied him personally. But the existence of Berg as the leader of the group was often kept secret to new members. Through the series of prophecies he gets, that those passages in the Bible about the King, uh, King David leading his people in the latter days are about him. In other words, the Bible is talking about him specifically and naming him, that he's the David in those verses. You, you see what I mean? So they, that's establishing him as the prophet of God in the end time, in the last days who has this doomsday message, this doomsday warning. And so when you're a member, I get it, you get, the way I got indoctrinated, you don't, you're not even told who Berg was. It, it took three months before I even knew there was a, a leader of the group. Like that's all secret knowledge, right? It's all kept from you. And then when you reach a certain, if you've been in for a few months, you reach a certain level of trust, they start revealing to you all these prophecies and you know that's it was slowly introduced you know and that's how I came to um, just believe that Berg is a prophet and follow him while well, he's the end time prophet. In 1972 Berg combined all his past more nebulous prophecies into a singular prediction with specific dates which would guide the course of the cult. The first date predicted was the return of Christ and the destruction of America. 
Armageddon would last for 20 years until 1993. Besides using numerology and astrology to back up his claims, Berg would also read into the popular culture of the time, including the hit song American Pie. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me... He believed the lyrics in that song and saying, look, at this confirms my prophecies. All these lyrics, there's a secret message here to the youth of the world, and we're the people he, we're the people that Don McLean's singing about, the children crying in the streets, the church bells are broken. You know, so this is a background for members like me. We're reading this kind of stuff, and it's just reinforcing the indoctrination. Did you write the book of love, and do you have faith in God above? If the Bible tells you so, how do you believe in rock and roll? The exact terms of Berg's Kahootek prophecy were laid out in a pamphlet warning of the Christmas monster, the monster in question being the comet. The pamphlet advises preparation for a coming apocalypse, such as stockpiling food and supplies. Berg saw America as the new biblical city of Nineveh, or other times Babylon, and wrote that the destruction of America would come 40 days after the comet was at its brightest. The implications of the comet prophecy meant the American communes were to leave the United States, and there wasn't much time. The comet prophecy came only a few months before Kahootek's arrival. He, he reads a magazine in England, because that's where he was at the time, and it mentions it. And so he writes this letter, and he's expressing surprise that he hadn't heard about it. But it turns out that there had been lots of media reports about it. Time magazine had written a couple articles. Paper They were calling it the comet of the century. It's just that Berg, who, Berg who's supposed to be the prophet, right, the prophet of God who knows everything, he didn't know, he didn't know about it for until he read it in an English magazine, right? At this point, Bulwer was still a fresh and committed member. But with the news of impending Armageddon, he came close to escaping the clutches of the cult. With his family to the north in Canada, the easiest thing to do would have been to leave the states by returning home. But the commune leaders convinced him he was needed in Washington state to spread their message and help them move. Normally, the children of God would sell their pamphlets and mo letters on the streets as their main source of income. But with the deadline approaching, their goal became to spread the doomsday prophecy as fast as possible. They kept Bulwer busy running a printing press from the basement of a house in the Seattle area. We'd go to where we could reach the most people. So like, uh, you know, sports stadiums, um, shopping mall, parking lots. And we would just stick, uh, stick a flyer, a letter on every car under the windshield of every car. We had stacks of these letters. We carried, you know, back, um, backpacks or shoulder bags with, you know, as much um, as many of these pamphlets we could. And we'd walk up the stairs, hand a little stack to somebody at the edge, uh, at the aisle seat, and ask them to pass it down. You know, people would look at it. The, the covers were always kind of catchy, like, whoa, what's this, right? So we we try to get out hundreds, thousands, if we could. And at the same time that day. We had a banner, like on, you know, a canvas banner or whatever, with a warning message on it. And they, 
they unfurled, they got down to the sidelines and they ran around the field until they got chased off with, I don't know, I can't remember what the specific message would have been, 40 days and America's destroyed or something. In the weeks before Kahootek's brightest point at the end of December, the commune produced a television advertisement to be aired during a popular music show for teens. Media that wasn't produced within the cult was normally off limits for members like Bulwer. However, the more senior members at the commune still had a television. So for the special occasion of their advertisement airing, the commune gathered around to watch. Despite the impending doom, the mood in the air was not fearful. There was no fear, it was more excitement. It's like we believed this message. We believed mm -hmm. the prophet, the prophecies. We believed that America is going to be destroyed. And our message, we were messengers. It was, we, we, our job was just to warn people. And that's, and so we were excited because that's what we were doing. Our message was getting out to way more people than we could reach physically by passing out a letter on the street. At this point, Bulwer remembers believing strongly in the prophecy, which meant utter destruction of the United States in mere weeks. Berg spoke a lot about nuclear annihilation, but the details were never clear. In a way, I don't know if, he, if I really actualized it, if I actually realized uh, or, or even tried to imagine what it would be like once it happened. In December, the commune members packed their bags for Hawaii, their first stop before continuing to Asia. They alerted a local news station, which covered them as a curiosity. For 17-year-old Perry Bulwer, this only made the trip all the more exciting. They were followed down the highway and through the airport by reporters. Finally, as they waited at their gate, the group gathered around to put on a display for the observing cameras. We, we got in a circle and we sang that song. We had, there was a song in the group called The Message of Jeremiah. So it was based on, it was the doomsday warning against America. The message of Jeremiah God has committed unto my hand The judgments of God are soon to be poured out Upon this wicked land You better get right with God The excitement and even hope that Bulwer had for the destruction of America might seem bizarre, but as someone who had bought fully into the beliefs of the cult, there's an internal logic to the feelings he had. They were taught that doubts were a sin, so anything that could crush nagging doubts and the guilt that came along with them triggered a positive response. We wanted it to happen because if America did get destroyed and the way Berg was saying it would happen, well, then that would just be proof that, yeah, Jesus is coming back in 1993. So, so it was sort of you wanted that confirmation. The trip to Hawaii was Bulwer's first time on an airplane and the farthest he'd ever traveled from home. It made sense for him to be excited, on the surface at least. It was a few days after they got to Hawaii that the anxiety he might have been suppressing revealed itself. And I'm sleeping and all of a sudden I jolt awake to the sound of these explosions. And my heart just starts pounding. I'm like, and my instantly my mind just goes to war. You know, like I'm hearing these sounds of explosions and I'm like, is this, is this the war? Is this, is this happening? And I'm like, my heart's pounding and I'm trying to get my bearings. And then I hear one of the leaders outside on the porch and they're laughing and they're made some comments. And I realized it was New Year's Eve and it was 
fireworks. But I, I mean, I we didn't celebrate holidays, so we didn't. I, I it just kind of slipped my mind that it was even New Year's Eve. Of course, Kahutek came and went, and not only was America left unscathed, but the comet disappointed astronomers and astrologers alike. David Berg explained this away in a follow-up letter called The Comet's Tale. He says, I'm a bit disappointed we didn't get to see this spectacular display in the sky that would have been a sure, a sure warning, God's warning. But he says, what's happened here is that the comet was sent by God as a warning, he says, but who warned the world? Before the comet even came, we warned the world. So he kind of writes off the fact that it didn't, it didn't show the way it does. But I've been looking and he's kind of silent on the fact that, well, America wasn't destroyed on those days. So members of the Children of God didn't get the kind of confirmation of Berg's prophecies that they had hoped for, and the failed prediction was swept under the rug. But Berg had succeeded in one goal. You see, the children of God were fleeing America, but not because of Armageddon. Rather, they were escaping the New York Attorney General, who was investigating the group for tax evasion, rape, polygamy, draft dodging, incest, and kidnapping. But there were other monetary motivations, too. In the States, the children of God were gaining reputation. Bulwer remembers how different it was selling pamphlets on the streets of Japan. They would just, we'd go out two by two. When I first got there, I, I landed there, and the day after I got there, I hit the road with one other guy for two months. We never, we never saw other members or a commune, nothing in two months. All we did was sell mole letters on the streets of big cities. And we were mobbed by people who wanted interaction with foreigners. It was big money. Harry Bulwer stayed with the Children of God almost until the final date of Berg's prophecy in the 1990s. Doubts had begun to grow for Bulwer, and the cult forced him to separate from his wife. Then he witnessed the sort of abuse the cult would become notorious for. He, I'd read letters of, of his very violent exorcisms of his granddaughter. They were members read those. And you kind of, those are the kind of things that what you do is you uh, forget the cognitive dissonance. You put them back in the back of your mind. You can't handle them. So you just stuff them in, the, in a box in the back of your mind. You don't think about them. But I got into a situation in Macau. That's where they had what was called a teen detention center where it turned out to be very abusive. But Grant Berg's granddaughter was there. And I saw the aftermath of what the exorcisms had done to her. They had abused her so bad, she had a psychotic breakdown. And I witnessed that personally, and that changed everything, because all of a sudden now it was real. I mean, it was one thing to read Mo letters in this kind of distant, abstract way, and you'd read about things Berg did, and you and things that you couldn't understand or disagreed you don't doubt or question so you just ignore and stuff away but when you're face face to face with it it should be noted that while Bulwer and many members of the children of god were never physically abused they were still victims in my case i didn't suffer any physical abuse but it was all 
psychological and, and spiritual abuse and manipulation of your personal life and that kind of stuff. And that's still abuse. After that, Berg's teachings started to fall apart for Bulwer. He needed to leave, but it was no easy task. At the time, he was living in a commune in Japan. I had managed in my travels to buy, in those days, everybody had Walkmans because we had our music, we had our own music. So we were allowed to have Walkmans that played our music, right? I managed to get one when I was in Hong Kong that had a radio because we weren't, we didn't have radios and TVs ourselves. And I was walking around this compound one day getting exercise. And what I started to do was listen to the American Armed Forces radio. And so they'd play all, like any kind of normal radio show, they'd play rock music, right? On, I'd walk around pretending I'm listening to cult music, but I'm actually listening to the American radio station, listening to songs. And one day, as I'm in this sort of headspace and turmoil, and you know what song comes on? R.E.M.'s song, um, Losing My Religion. It stopped me in my tracks. That moment was a turning point, and within a year, Bulwer managed to escape the clutches of the Children of God. Today, he is working on publishing his memoir and works to educate people about the dangers of cults. I was involved in the protests against uh, nuclear testing in Alaska in 1971, which was kind of my political awakening, but that was the Cold War, all this uh, existential angst of the Vietnam War and violence on TV, civil rights protests, all that stuff. And then you look at today, and it's the, the comparisons are eerie. Should we be concerned that a similar political burnout will happen today? leading people to search for answers and con men and religions promising solutions too good to be true? It might already be happening. A recent mass baptism was held on Huntington Beach, California, where the Jesus people held similar events 50 years ago, something even promoters were well aware of. And thank God is moving in California. I believe that we are on the verge of another Jesus people movement. I know it's the middle of a global pandemic. I know things are crazy, but in the midst of it all, God is moving. The Children of God itself still exists under a different name today and is run by David Berg's wife. Berg himself died in 1994, just long enough to see his final prophecy come to nothing but he never saw any consequences for the systemic abuse within the organization. Bulwer stays in contact with people who were born into the Children of God, who were scattered across the globe. Former members that I'm in contact with, it's mostly people who were born into the group. And I'd say the vast majority, 95% or more, have lost any religious belief. He says members like him who joined the cult tend to be more privative and stay cut off from those who were born into it. For Bulwer, though, he can't keep the story buried, and the value of educating people about cults outweighs staying private. 
R.E.M. helped him leave the cult, but unbeknownst to Bulwer in 1985, while radios were still off-limits to him, R.E.M. were inspired by the same thing that David Berg prophesied about. There's no apocalyptic language here. The comet is compared to a beautiful girl in R.E.M.'s version of Kahootek. What Comet Kahootek left behind is written and produced by London Homer Wombi. Music by Naramata. You can download the soundtrack at naramata.bandcamp.com. Additional voices and support provided by Madison Volley. Check out the five other episodes to learn about the countercultural oddities left in Kahootek's wake. Mm-hmm.